0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Katherine Ruck. When we sing that first hymn by Martin Luther, I feel like we should just sing it again and go home. That's That's it, isn't it? It's the whole theology of the unseen world. This morning, I want to provide a biblical worldview of the authority of the Holy Spirit over evil spirits. This is not a training on how to exercise the Christian authority over the demonic, except as it is in your own life. We do train here at Resurrection, and we'll be doing more of it, and it is important. Uh, We could do a whole conference on this. Stuart kept reminding me this was not a conference. But this morning, I'm more concerned about you having your eyes opened to the unseen realities of the battle we're in, and to recognize where you might be subject to any pre- oppression of the devil and then invite you into the presence of the authority of Jesus to free you. I'm going to tell you a story that for some of you may be hard to believe, but I promise you it's true because I lived it. When my parents went to Brazil as missionaries, they went as what I like to call freshly scrubbed evangelicals, raised in a scriptural environment that lacked any understanding of the supernatural. They were thrown into the deep end, unwittingly, as they moved us into a house that had been a spiritus center, where there had been all this demonic activity. Of course, those who rented the house for us didn't know uh, this had been the case. From the beginning of our five years in that house, we had one attack after another. My mother was in years of oppressive depression. We were plagued by nightmares. I distinctly remember seeing a large demon standing in the hallway blocking me from my mother. My father almost died, I almost died. In fact, my mother recounts that one morning on her way to the hospital where I was interned, a demonic spirit presented itself to her and promised to make me well if only she would give me to him. It was all that she could do, she said, to resist the devil and declare that I already belonged to God. She assumed she would find me dead on arrival at the hospital, and in fact, they thought I was. I had no pulse, no sign of life. I did awaken to six doctors looking over me. Praise God that his designs for my life were much greater than that of the enemy's threats. But what my parents encountered was the supernatural. This is a cultural given in most places of the world, Christian or not. This immersion into a spiritual life with components of battle totally unfamiliar to my parents caused them to readjust their worldview. To know and believe in the Holy Spirit, which is something we declare in the Creed, means we must also know and believe in the existence of other spirits at war with the Holy Spirit. We know from our passage in Ephesians 6 this morning that we are in a battle of epic proportions. Not a battle with flesh and blood, but with rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, it says, over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If we are not living in our imaginations, in the paradigm that we're in a battle, then we are extremely vulnerable. It would be like taking a family walk unwittingly through a field of landmines. To take our stand against the schemes of the devil, which is the word that's used, we must be equipped. We will not withstand in the evil day if we're not equipped. This is what I really want you to hear this morning. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil by the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't going to be a lot this morning, I understand that, but this is how you can enter into the work of the Holy Spirit. Know your enemy, know yourself and know the authority of Jesus. We see in Mark 9 directly from a passage we read, prior to this passage, Jesus has just been transfigured before three of his disciples. They see him speaking to Moses and Elijah, two figures that represent the law and the prophets. And the voice of the father himself declares Jesus as his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. He is being revealed as God. It is not surprising then as Jesus descends that mountain, a challenge of the devil awaits him. A little boy is under the power of the devil and no one is able to help him. We see that Satan is trying to destroy this child and through it has wreaked havoc on the family. This is just one story of many in Scripture where we see Satan harming someone he has latched onto. Throughout Jesus' ministry, the question of his authority of the demonic comes, over, comes up again and again. And here we see it at this crucial time of revelation of who he is. To overcome the enemy, we need to know that, first, he is our enemy. And we need to understand his tactics and schemes. There are different ways to come at this, but this morning, based on this passage, I want to look at two things we can understand about our enemy. The first is that he challenges the authority of God. He's always challenging the authority of God. Satan, we learn from scripture, was a created angelic being who rebelled against God's authority and fell from heaven, taking with him a battalion of other rebellious angels whom we call demonic spirits. Satan's first appearance in scripture is in the perfect garden where God's presence and authority was established and shared with Adam and Eve. It's not surprising that Satan's first temptation for Eve is to challenge God's authority, his word, his good intent toward mankind. Even today, whenever God's authority is reaffirmed, Satan will try to discredit God's authority with his typical, did God really say? Or God's withholding something good from you, some secret knowledge. There's a proper kind of questioning But there is that doubting with an edge that doubts the goodness of God. Scorning and mocking are always telltale signs of the enemy. In our Mark passage, Satan wants to challenge the authority of Jesus through the voices of those people. In the transfiguration, we have just seen that Jesus has authority over time. He has authority over the history of the Jewish people. But does he have authority over the hidden unseen powers, the supernatural powers of the universe? Satan is waiting there to challenge his authority. Our enemy is just as busy today challenging God's authority over the world. The authority is declared in the revealed word of God, the authority of God's church. In this passage, he does it through the religious teachers who are most likely questioning the supernatural power of Jesus. Christ is descending from the Mount of Transfiguration and he encounters a challenge from the devil. So besides challenging God's authority, Satan wants to keep us from appealing to the authority of Jesus. Satan would like us to think that the battle is not in the spirit realm. Know that your enemy wants you to think that it's all in the physical realm. It's not in the spiritual realm it's in the world of ideas he wants you to think it's in it's between people or nations as soon as we understand that we're in a spiritual battle and we're believers satan knows we're going to appeal to jesus once we appeal to jesus he's vanquished he wants to keep the battle on a horizontal plane then he wins he knows that we cannot overcome him with our own authority As long as he can keep us only looking to what we see and observe, what we can problem solve, we're not looking for revelation, we're not looking with discernment and spiritual eyes, he will have won the battle. Having been raised in a country in which everyone believes in evil spirits, in which I saw spirits actively at work in blatant ways, I had hesitancy adjusting to American Christianity. Were demons less active in America? Surely the blatant openness to evil spirits is a wide open invitation to demonic infestation. That seemed a little more unusual in the States. But I began to see after living here many years that the principalities that rule America, and Daniel seems to suggest there are geographical principalities, exert their control partly by their covert nature, by maintaining the unbelief in the supernatural. America has had a culture that considered itself too sophisticated, too enlightened for the very idea of invisible spirits. All spirits, evil and the Holy Spirit, and even ministering spirits. Even Christians have given lip service to the supernatural, but have been spiritual agnostics in practice. Well, Satan's perfectly comfortable during his work in a place in which people do not even see that he's there, don't acknowledge him. Then he has little resistance. In this passage, we see that happening. The disciples at the base of the mountain are surrounded by a crowd. Uh, Perhaps they've been there all night, and they're arguing with scribes. Jesus asks the crowd as he comes down, what are you arguing about with them? And he's referring to the scribes. We're not told, but we can only assume by the father of the boy narrating his story that they were arguing about the disciples' inability to cast out the demon from this boy. Perhaps they argued about whether a psychologist or the proper therapy could heal him. Perhaps drugs for his condition. Perhaps they were arguing about whether it really was a demon, whether anybody had power to overcome it if it was. After all, the disciples were unable. Certainly they were questioning the authority of Jesus over demonic spirits. The battle we fight with the enemy of our souls is in the words of Paul in our passage that we read from Ephesians this morning, not a battle against flesh and blood. Satan wants you to think you can overcome his wiles with arguments, insight, committees, education, medication, or therapy. Now, let me be clear, all of the things I just mentioned can be extremely important partnering components to the healing of the human soul. At Resurrection, we highly value our partnerships. The medical community and those who bring psychological expertise to the understanding of the soul, those are gifts. But when you're dealing with the demonic, the only way to battle the demonic is to bring the suffering one or come yourself into the authoritative presence of Jesus, for only he has authority over the devil. To know our enemy, we must know that he challenges God's authority with temptation and doubt and cloudy thinking, confusion, worldly reasoning. We must also know that our enemy uses the cover of the natural world, a materialistic mindset, to hide his work. We are spiritual beings. We are made to be inhabited by the Holy Spirit in our bodies. The battle is in the spirit realm, but it has implications in the physical and material realm. That is, this is where we can become confused, thinking that it's only biological or psychological. But as we see here, Satan afflicts the body as well as the imagination. Satan will try to inhabit as well. You must know the enemy. You must also know yourself. The target for our enemy is the human person. He looks for any access to a man, woman, or child made in the image of God. He is ruthless. He preys on the vulnerable. Wherever you have a vulnerability will be the first place of his effort. These can be vulnerabilities that you did not even bring on yourself. It could be abuse, sexual, physical, psychological. It could be uh, from territorial spirits in different countries, such as unbelief in Europe, misogyny in a Muslim country, fear in the inner city. It can come from violence, False teaching, abuses of authority, vacuum of true bonding, racism. You know, we always try to fight racism with human means. But this has a demonic component. Satan is always trying to denigrate people. He's always trying to put them down. He's always trying to create division. Until we deal with this through prayer, we are not going to be able to overcome racism. Are you anxious? Do you have a difficult history? Do you have shame over sin? Do you come from a line of family patterns of sin? Suicide, divorce, idolatry of money, sexual sin. Were you abandoned or rejected? If someone is mentally ill or abused, he will target them even more. Here we see Satan targeting a child. We also see in this marked passage that Satan can afflict the human body. Some illness, blindness, muteness, raging, certainly self-harm in the Bible is attributed to direct oppression of the enemy. Many deliverances here at resurrection are very quiet ones. A lifting of a dark cloud, light coming into an overwhelming sense of darkness, clarity coming in the midst of confusion, A release that results in feeling that the battle is now outside the body instead of inside the body. A new freedom to obey. A new access to the work of the Holy Spirit. But several deliverances here have looked exactly like this one from Mark. Thrashing, convulsing, screaming. And when I see the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit releasing someone from the power of an unholy spirit and seeing how it has bound up their bodies, I celebrate how much the Holy Spirit can and will inhabit our bodies as we invite him in, as we seek him. This is why it is so important that Jesus overcame the devil in his body. It was his physical death and resurrection that brought victory over Satan. It was not just a battle of the minds. One time when praying for someone here who was manifesting a demon, we handed her a small crucifix. Jesus' body takes your pain, your suffering, your trauma, and your sinful reactions to all of this into his own body so you can be free. Someone ran to get the very large crucifix that we have in the sacristy which has been used in a lot of exorcisms. And when we handed it to this woman, she grabbed it and pressed it to her body saying, yes. The reason that the symbol of the crucifix is so powerful is that it ministers the fundamental reality of the death of Jesus on the cross, where he overcame evil, the evil that afflicts us. The body of Jesus, broken for you. He takes it all up and out of your body into his own, where he crushed the head of Satan. The solution to our sin and the crushing of Satan cannot simply happen in our heads. It happens in our bodies, in our emotions, in our imaginations. The spirit realm meets the physical realm. We see this in the Eucharist. The bread that spiritually becomes the body of Christ for you but you must take it, chew it, swallow it, believe it. You know the solution to the unclean spirits inhabiting your body. It is the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus, offered to you in his body, received in your body. In this Mark passage, we do not know why this boy is troubled, but we know a demon has been with him since childhood. It has driven him to harm himself. I have prayed for deliverance for many who have suffered from demonic oppression since childhood. Can you imagine? In this case, there is no indication that this child has done anything to open himself to the demonic. He has suffered from the fallen world where Satan exercises dominion, but Jesus is going to deliver him. We know from other scripture that Satan always has access where there is a pattern of sin. Sin is an invitation to Satan to take authority. That is why we live in constant confession, taking thoughts captive so that Satan will never gain a little worm into our hearts, a foothold. Entry points that are from our own sinful choices can be involvement in other religions, occult practices, or systems of thought that are idolatrous. Any system of thought that demands your allegiance away from Jesus or the gospel has a demonic component. I want to speak to the current gender ideology in our country. Um, As I do, I want to be clear that when it comes to issues around same-sex attraction and transgenderism, we at, at Resurrection see these realities as complex. And we also see them as having demonic components, an edge to them. Any ideology that demands your allegiance such as this one can be an entry point in the mind and the body. In the current gender ideology, for instance, we're seeing more and more cases of young people being plagued by thoughts of being gay or lesbian or transsexual when apparently there's no basis for it in their family history or trauma. More and more we feel that children, even from very loving, connected families, are coming under demonic oppression from this spiritually charged gender identity religion. Don't be fooled. This gender identity movement is empowered by demons, coming against the human person and against family at its very core, and is attacking the most vulnerable, children. Stories abound of children all over the world who are getting sex changes or taking hormones that will ultimately destroy their fertility. But then we have the innocent bystanders who cannot even have same-sex friendships without being plagued by thoughts or suspicions, impure thoughts who become plagued with self-doubt and totally self-absorbed. We must fight this battle in every realm, but especially in the spirit realm through prayer. Sexual immorality, pornography, horror movies, other movies that expose someone to evil, mind-altering drugs, abuse of alcohol, dishonoring of authorities, parents and church authorities, vows that give place to the enemy, I will never trust anyone again, I will never forgive that person. These give room to the work of the enemy. Abortion and the aftermath. You see that Satan mimics the Holy Spirit. The Bible says Satan is a spirit who masquerades, as good, as an angel of light, as a sophisticated new idea, sneaking around, scheming how he might trap someone, using even our own words like love, and in his own twisted way, make people feel that they are liberated, all the time stealing from them, life, joy, peace, and a future. Today, I want you to be aware of Satan's designs on you. You are not immune You are actually his target. Paul tells us to be careful so that we are not outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Your enemy is ancient. He is very intelligent. He's more intelligent than you. He is strategic, and he has had thousands of years of experience. He will seek to attack you and oppress you in a way that you do not even consider that it might be him. And his main goal for the Christian is articulated so well in 2 Corinthians Corinthians 3.11, to lead us away from a pure and sincere devotion to the Lord. We have a beloved son of this church who has been brought into the womb of Mother Church. I'm going to call him Joe. Joe was raised in a total absence of connection. In that lack of bonding, he bonded to horror movies, became stuck in isolation. And later in life acted out sexually out of the desperation for connection. It was when he came under the authority of Jesus that Jesus could go to that vulnerability that had made him susceptible to falling into the same sins over and over. It was this lack of bonding deep in his heart. Demons had taken advantage of him as a child and were hiding in that wounded place in his soul. When we addressed the wounded place, where Jesus wanted to heal, these demons came up and were commanded to leave and come out of him. What came with it was grief and sorrow, anger, but it could come out in the presence of the Lord and his body could release all that that he was holding. Jesus knew exactly when he was ready for this deliverance and unfolded it at just the right time. A new journey unfolded for Joe where there has been more power of the Holy Spirit To live the Christian life but it's a journey of walking into that life Satan loves to prey on our vulnerabilities and make it hard for us to live the Christian life by limiting our access to the Holy Spirit who empowers us know yourself your enemy can worm his way into your body and your soul if you are a believer if you are born again and you are baptized, your spirit is secure in Jesus. Satan can't pluck you from the Father's hand. I will not argue today about whether Satan is in or out. The Bible does not use the term possession in regards to unclean spirits. It uses words like afflicted, tormented, oppressed, demonized. And I've seen many Christians freed from demons. The point is that Satan looks for any point of entry Any ground given, any door opened, and anybody is his target. But we don't just know the enemy and know ourselves. We'd be lost, wouldn't we? We know the authority of God. Jesus seems so exasperated when he comes down the mountain and he says, oh, faithless generation, when he hears what they've been arguing about, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Stop arguing and see with kingdom eyes what's going on. A soul is in distress because of an oppression of the evil one. How many times in our culture do we not even consider that someone who is suffering might be directly under the attack of the evil one? Jesus is put out that even when they've seen the works of God, they have the scriptures, they're looking to their own devices to save a child from the clutches of evil. We can be confident in Jesus' authority. The scriptures tell us, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, they have been subjected to him. Jesus casts out demons who declare his authority. They know who he is. They beg. They ask for permission. He's clearly over them. Time and again, religious leaders are shocked that he commands demons and they obey him. But faith is required. When Jesus hears the story of the boy and the father begs for compassion and help, saying, if you can do anything, please help us, Jesus says, if you can things are possible to him who believes. One reason we see many deliverances here at Resurrection is that we believe in the authority of Jesus and that people can be delivered. The one bringing the suffering, one must have faith. In this story, one thing that's so beautiful is the father that has faith for his child. You know, there's an authority given to parents. So when the parents bring children under the authority to Jesus, there's a special um, I believe, dispensation of grace and faith and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So this father has faith of some kind because he, he's bringing him to Jesus. And he acknowledges his own weakness, but he declares his faith. Gift me with more faith, Lord. In this story, Jesus identifies the spirit. It's a mute and deaf spirit, and he commands him to leave. I love the way that when he sees a crowd gathering, he quickly does it. This is not an exhibition. He is, we don't make shows out of this. This is something, this is a human person. He's bringing him into a quiet place where, this can be, where he can be delivered. Um, Jesus isn't ruffled that his body appears to be dead afterwards. That's not uncommon. I've seen this in deliverances. Satan likes to flick his dragon tail as he leaves. And something is leaving them. But Jesus simply takes him by the hand and lifts him up into life. This is what we do. Lift them up into life. Impart the Holy Spirit. Whenever someone is delivered, life must replace death. The Holy Spirit must replace the evil spirit. Last Easter morning, a young woman was manifesting a demon. And these can be bodily signs, sometimes shaking, the desire to vomit, an intense panic about being present in church. We were able to pray for her privately, and this is in her own words the voice of the spirit that had latched on to me was speaking to me in my own voice and I really did not believe that there was another voice telling me those lies by using my voice the spirit was trying to convince me that I was immune to oppression it was only as I was being prayed for on Easter morning that was able to begin distinguishing my true voice from the demonic voice Then this woman went on to share with me how years before, through the death of a family member, she became fearful of death and she felt very isolated. The fear spread to her participation in in ballet and her school where she began to compare herself to others and began to see herself as unworthy, unnoticed. She took on this identity, a, a fearful identity, a depressed identity. When I was praying for this daughter, the demon was not leaving, even though we were commanding it to leave. So I was praying in my spirit, Lord, what gives this demon the authority to stay here? Immediately, the Lord spoke to me, said, it's an identity of fear. So I said, are you ready to renounce your identity that you've taken on of fear? Immediately, I knew that's what it was. She renounced it. Then I said, who does Jesus say that you are? Without missing a beat, and I'm not going to use her real name here, she said, Kelly Marie Smith, daughter of the risen Lord. Immediately, the demon left her. Relief came over her whole body. She began to smile and laugh. She had been freed. She had claimed her true identity. She had rejected the false identity. It was then that I was able to stop believing the lies, she said, that the demon had been telling me for three years after all that happened on Easter the battle was not over I continued to hear that voice but I focused on who God says I am so that I didn't buy into those lies again I learned a lot about the importance of praising God and praying with fellow believers worship I would say that I'm still in the process of walking into my God-given identity but I have so much more confidence in fighting the battle and I'm so full of joy and have little fear of the enemy." The stories I've told you today are stories of people, recent, very recent stories in our church. There are so many kinds of deliverance, and we just rejoice when, this, uh, when the Lord comes in and frees. Jesus ministers his authority through us, but why did the disciples fail in this story? Why were they unable to minister deliverance to the boy? At another point, Jesus sends out his disciples and they do cast out demons. It's part of their training, not their accomplishments, but their training. Jesus gives us two reasons in the story. The first was at the beginning, the lack of faith. And then at the end of the story, he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Obviously, Jesus did not go away and pray for hours before delivering this child. I believe he's speaking of a life of prayer. And in Matthew, the account says prayer and fasting. We cannot have authority over the enemy through our own human means. We have to use the gifts of the Spirit that have been given us as described in Ephesians 6. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. As we conclude today, I want to call each of you to bring yourselves under the authority of Jesus in your own life this is why it's so important daily to bring your heart and mind to a place in which you are reminded that Christ is the authority put him in his proper place see him um, exalted and lifted up allow any events of the day anything you've read or heard anything that surfaced in your own imagination to come under the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit worship pray confess ingest the scriptures this brings to light anything out of the authority of Jesus where Satan might get a foothold. And if something seems to come up or latch onto you and trouble you, seek prayer from the church. That's why we're here. We cannot tame or control the Holy Spirit. He is a wind, He's a fire, He will blow where He will. But the scriptures say we can quench the Holy Spirit, we can put out His fire. If we do we will be unable to exercise the authority over the demonic that jesus has given us in his name may we walk in step with the spirit so that we may be called a faith-filled generation instead of a faithless generation and see many miracles of god's saving power raphael has a painting of the transfiguration in the top half of the painting Jesus is in robes of white speaking to Moses and Elijah. He's exalted. The three disciples are as dead on the ground. Then the under half of the painting is dark. It's the scene of the boy caught up in a demonic attack, his father holding him. He's surrounded by a crowd. But in the middle of it, the apostle Matthew is pointing up to Jesus glorified as if to say, he is the authority, bring him to Jesus. Come now, Holy Spirit. We come now into your presence and your authority. We thank you that here we enter into the heavenlies where you, there's constant worship around your throne. We pray that anyone here today who is troubled and afflicted, um, no matter how niggling it may be or how great it may be, they can come and experience that relief of your authority over those things and those spirits that are troubling them. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation.